everybody. How are we doing? Okay, so for the last 14 months, I've been staring at a little teeny tiny camera trying to uh, imagine y'all's faces. It is so, so good to see your faces right here in front of me. Um, my name is Tom Kay, and I'm the, um, the lead pastor here. And man, I am just so, so excited. The theme for our celebration of Easter this year is disrupted by joy. And that's a phrase, it's kind of an odd phrase, right? You don't hear very often disruption and joy in the same, in the same sentence. And man, we are no, no strangers to disruption this year. Disruption is when we're tracking along as individuals and something gets in front of us and alters the course of our lives forever. I don't need to list all the disruptions that have happened. I don't want to list all the disruptions that have happened over the course of the last 14 months. But at the same time, there can be good disruptions, right? Some of you over the last 14 months have had babies. Some of you have gotten married. Some of you have started new jobs or gone off to college or changed schools. All of those things by definition are disruptions and all of them are good. So we're here today to talk about the best disruption ever, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the, the affirmation and the confirmation of everything that Jesus said and did when he walked this earth and everything with the 1,500 years prior to that that's recorded in the Old Testament. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all of that, we probably wouldn't be talking about him right now. The resurrection is the key moment of our faith, of our community as believers of Jesus. And it's our hope and prayer this morning that we might together for the first time in a long time, that we might experience joy in a new and fuller way and that the trajectory of each one of your lives as individuals and the trajectory of our life as a community would be altered forever. Over the course of the last 12 months, I have come to this uh, a new and deeper, fuller understanding of the word joy. You know, joy is a funny thing. The Bible commands us to joy. Jesus tells us that he wants us to know his joy, and he prays that our joy would be complete. Throughout the pages of the Bible, we see the heroes of our faith being joyful in what we would consider the most unjoyful of circumstances. You know, our, we, God created us to run on joy. More specifically, he created our brains to run on joy. Maybe I should define how I'm using the word joy before we get any further to this. And to do that, we got to throw it back to the 1990s. And there were lots of good things that came out of the 90s, not just Pearl Jam and Mad Season and Ripped Jeans and Flannel, but brain scans came online for the first time. For the first time, humanity was able to study the human brain while people were still alive. Everything we knew about the brain up until that point came as the result of studies that were done post-mortem. People were dead when we were able to study their brains. And these scans showed us amazing things. There was one particular man by the name of Dr. Alan Shore. He was a neurologist. And he looked at these scans, and 
they were able, he was able to determine where the joy center of our brain is. It's located behind our right eyes, the right orbital prefrontal cortex. It also happens to be the spot where our identity and our sense of belonging resides in our brain. But more on that next week. So this idea of joy, he was able, by looking at these scans, he was able to determine that joy comes from, joy is a mindset that there is somebody else that's happy to see me. Joy is relational in nature. It's 100% relational. And his studies were able to even further define that this, this joy is, we can tell if somebody's happy to see us, our brain does that faster than we even realize it. And that gets communicated through our eyes and through our facial expressions. From a biblical standpoint, joy is kind of the foundation of everything. I want to read to you a quote from a book by um, Sid and Jeff Holsclaw. It says this, Joy is the very foundation of reality. Joy is where life began and where life is headed. Creation begins with the joyful communion of God and with, with humanity, beginning with the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And at the end of all things, God and humanity will dwell together again in great joy. The end of the book of Revelations. Neuroscience and biblical knowledge coming together to tell us that joy is the knowledge that God is happy to be with you. As an individual, God is happy to be with you. 100% relational. And there are many voices that would like us to believe that would tell us that science and the Bible are at odds. But as we think about the work of Dr. Alan Shore and those brain scans, and we look through the pages of Scripture, what we see are those two things confirming each other. We look at passages um, like Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah is an Old Testament leader and prophet. And the verse says, um, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The whole new meaning to that verse, right? The joy of the Lord will be your strength. I never really got that. Jesus, who defeated death, is happy to be with me. I feel like I could pretty much go out and do anything. There's some strength in that. And Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of your life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now translators, sometimes translators of the Bible take that original language, Hebrew, and they have to make some choices because English doesn't line up word for word with Hebrew. Other places in the Old Testament translate that phrase, in your presence, kind of cold, sterile, in your presence. It's translated as before your face. So uh, Dr. Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks re provide an alternative translation that reads like this. When your face, face lights up with joy because you are so happy to be with me, you fill me up with joy. Last one, Zephaniah. There's a great name for you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, another Old Testament prophet. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice, will rejoice over you with singing. Yes, the God of the Bible is the God who saves. He's the God who protects. He's the God who forgives. And, and he's more than a cosmic 
bodyguard. He is so happy to be with you that with his voice, he sings about you to you. That's what that phrase, sings over you, means. The God of the universe is glad to be with you. All right, back to the resurrection, right? I can't even begin to imagine the sense of loss in the disciples, in Mary Magdalene, in Jesus' family. Not only did someone they love, did they watch him be executed, but their Messiah. These, many of these people had given up everything to follow Jesus, and they watched him murdered. And then he stood there again, very much alive, bodily form, there before him. I can't imagine the joy that filled up in them when their relationship with Jesus was again a thing. They could look into Jesus' eyes and they could see his joy in, in them. Mary Magdalene was the first one to see Jesus. And when she first laid eyes on him, she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. He looks at her with his face, right? Calls her by name with his voice. And she recognizes him. She's over filled with joy and she goes and she runs back and she tells the other disciples about him now the resurrection is the linchpin of our faith it's the central point of our faith but it's it can be really hard to wrap our brains around one because it happened two thousand years ago and two because while well, it's the resurrection it doesn't happen every day it happened once um so I want to try to give you a couple of examples that pale in comparison in kind and in magnitude, but can maybe paint a picture of what that relational joy is that the resurrection makes possible for us with the God of the universe. First example, um, I think about the day that I got married. And when Gail came around the corner of the back of the church and she looked at me, Un unbelievable and basically every time she's ever ever looked at me since then before I had this job I had I was in corporate sales and I traveled a lot when I didn't travel I tried to come home on a pretty regular schedule my at that point my oldest son was 18 months old and his dog Chubbs they had kind of figured out my schedule and they would wait for me at the front door and there's I was traveling and that time rolled around Gail sent me a picture of the two of them standing at the front door waiting to see me. Even though I wasn't with them, I could see in their face the joy that was there because they were happy to be with me. Right? Gail on the day I got married, my son and my, my, his dog, the last one, even more different. I am still very good friends with my roommates from college, the guys that I played football with, and we will see each other like once or twice a year. And when we see each other, it's always these big, huge smiles. You know, old college nicknames get thrown around, and these big, awkward man hugs get exchanged. The joy that exists when we see each other is real, and it's relational. It's because we're happy to see each other. Joy is 100% relational, and it starts with the God of the universe wanting to be in a relationship with you and with me. One more passage I want to read to you. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. One of my favorite passages. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So if you guys have been around Crossroads for a while, you know I like to remind you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I do that for a number of reasons, but today as we concentrate on this idea of being disrupted by joy, I'm going to add another reason to it. We look to Jesus for guidance and for direction and for leadership. We look through Jesus for perspective. We try to look at the world and our circumstances through him. Now, when we look at Jesus, we look at him knowing that he's looking back at us and he's happy to be with us. Jesus went to the cross to restore the relationship between himself and humanity that had been broken. The relationship that is supposed to be the central, organizing, most attached relationship in each one of our lives. So attached that the Bible describes it as a vine to branches that our lives are supposed to be so dependent upon Jesus that if we are cut off from him, we would wither and die. That comes to the other phrase in there that I wanted to point out to you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That joy was relationship. It was relationship with his heavenly father. He was returning to heaven to be with his father as he was before he came to walk with us. That joy is relationship with you and with me. Joy is all about relationship with Jesus. I want to end, our t- end my part of our time by trying to give you an opportunity to, s- to experience this joy. And we're going to do that through the use of communion. And if you guys have, you got those little plastic cups, the little wafer cracker deal on top, you can go ahead and get, get to work on separating those. Can that, that can be a little bit of a task in and of itself. Somebody's happy about communion. All right, so here's what I want you to do. When you get those things separated, I want you to hold the bread in one hand and the cup in the other. Jesus used a simple meal to help us He calls us to remember him, to remember what he did. And one of the things that communion stirs in us is gratitude. And the beauty of this is that God created our brains in such a way that gratitude opens up pathways from the parts of our brain where we experience things like fear and sadness and shame, and it opens up pathways right to the front where that joy center is. So as we experience gratitude, we can experience the joy that God has for us. So what I want you to do is I want you to take that bread in one hand, that cup in the other, and whatever, however you best engage your memory, if you need to close your eyes to do that, you can close your eyes, whatever. I want you to think of a moment in time for which you are grateful. a person, a place, a thing, an event, something that God provided to you, for you, through you. I want you to think about 
everything about that moment. Where were you? Who were you with? Was it hot out? Was it cold out? What was going on in your body? Were you, did you have like butterflies because you were excited, maybe sweaty palms? Or was it just a moment of, of peace and calm? Now I want you to try to relive that moment of gratitude for 10 seconds. Put yourself back in that place. Finally, I want you to just take a moment and think, what is it that God might be trying to impress upon you in that moment? Maybe something about him, something about you, something about your relationship with him. Remembering that the God of the universe is happy to be with you. So happy to be with you that he endured the cross. I want you to do one last thing for me. I want you to, just in your, in your mind, in your imagination, I want you to give that memory a two or three word name or title or something. And then later on today, I want you to tell somebody about it and tell them what it is that God was impressing upon you. Lord Jesus, we are so, so grateful. Jesus, we are, we are filled with awe that you, the God of the universe, would endure the cross because you want to be with us, because you're happy to be with us. God, we thank you for the gift of that joy. We thank you that joy is relational. We thank you for all the good gifts, the people that you put in our lives that are happy to be with us. We thank you for community that you create so we can be happy to be together with each other. Jesus, most of all, we thank you for you. We thank you that you were born as one of us. You walked as one of us. You lived as one of us. You died for us. You rose again for us so that we could be in eternal relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. On the night before Jesus died, he had dinner with some of his closest friends. And at dinner, he took some bread and he held up the bread and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. When you eat of this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. After dinner, he took the cup, just like he did before dinner. And he said, this cup is a cup of the new covenant a covenant that is written in my blood for the forgiveness of sins for you and for me. When you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me.